Hi and welcome back to the Bob on the Wire podcast. Thanks for coming back. That music you just heard was again with Scott Pringham, who is an incredible composer musician from Glasgow. And Scott wrote the music for Purposeless Movements, which I directed at the Edinburgh International Festival in 2019. You get me. Oh. Hi, Jack. Sorry, I'm not going to talk about me all the time. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. Not bad. It's just uh, another another, another day in, in COVID land, isn't it? But holding yeah, up all right. Yeah. yeah. Well, what have you been up to? Uh, just trying to keep busy. Do you know what I mean? Like, just kind of uh, writing and trying to keep on top of the chores and whatnot. But also, I find I find that I've been watching a lot of like you know in a time like this, you kind of think you'd be watching kind of nice jovial stuff. Been watching quite a lot of sort of dark, bleak, sort of drama, and I'm just like, oh well, at least it's not that bad. But yeah, good. I know I've probably been watching the film uh, Pandemic. No, oh yeah, Concussion. Yeah, everybody's yeah. been watching Concussion and going. Oh yeah, that's actually how it happened. So that's a bit with it dark. I mean, I've always been into my sort of dark TV watching like airplanes crashing into buildings and stuff. It's sort of what what I do for fun. What you're into, <laughs> but it's a bit confusing, yeah. isn't it? Because you could watch Contagion, or, you know, or you could watch Newsnight. I mean, I I tend to get confused between the two, <laughs> to be honest. But um, go with, go with. I've also found that I'm t- uh, trying to do new hobbies. Like, I, I impulsively oh, bought a keyboard, um, <laughs> which isn't great considering I can't tie my shoelaces. So, you know, <laughs> the, the, the odds, I'm kind of doing it back to front. So. Um, there was a thing on BBC News last week about a young guy with cerebral palsy trying to learn to play the piano. My flatmate was watching it going, oh, that's so sweet. And I was watching it going, really crap at putting the piano. So, why are we looking great? I know. But anyway, okay, so in case you're listening and wondering who the hell we are and why we're wiggling on, my name's Robert Coffey-Gale and I'm the artistic director of Broken Paradise. And this is Jack Hunter and I am one of... Bridge of Paradise's uh, youth arts consultants. I'm also a performer as well. Yeah. And this is the third in, in the series of podcasts that we're putting together. And obviously during this time we're not making new work and Bob, we make a decision instead of making work to go online, we, we do a bit of work around things we've already made. So these podcasts are about talking to the people who we've worked with in the past and getting them to talk about themselves and their careers. Actors are always happy to talk about themselves, <laughs> but also to talk about the work they did with Bob and what that meant to them. So hopefully this will give you a wee bit more content to the work and a bit more background. Mm. Does that make sense? Um, so yeah, hopefully that's there. So this week we've got the wonderful Karen Parker. Yeah, she she is absolutely fantastic. Um, 
this is a great episode in terms of talking about accessibility and uh, trying to uh, create more integrated work within the arts. Caroline is um, a BOP alumni. She's I think she's been in three shows. Um, a few weeks she never goes home. <laughs> go, go wake up in the sun. <laughs> She, yeah, no, she's she's squatting go. in the the bop office, I think. Um, yeah. If, if you don't watch them on BBC, they're quite often late at night, kind BSL songs. And if you've ever seen them, they're done by Karen Parker. Because she's a wonderful um, champion of BSL work, but she's also... One of the funniest women you'll ever meet. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's yeah. a really funny, uh, frank conversation as well. Um, where yeah. there's a, you know it's it's quite light in places, but also a lot of uh, uh, really interesting questions are asked about what you know what does it mean to be a disabled performer um, in in today in today's world and what you know what what is what is political you know. So there's there's a lot there's uh, ooh, I know so there's there's some jovial banter and there's also some cerebral stuff as well for for yeah, you eggheads yeah. out there. What more could you ask for? So okay, sit back, relax, enjoy our chat with Carol, and we'll see you at the end of the show. Bye bye. Thank you very much for joining us on podcast number three. Yeah, uh, first of all, I'd just like to say hello. Uh, it's lovely to meet you. Um, I've seen a lot of your work, and I see that you've worked a lot with Birds of Paradise and uh, Grey Eye as well. Um, so it's it's interesting to see how those worlds cross over. Um, and I guess I just wanted to first ask you, what was your first impression of Birds of Paradise Theatre? Um, Birds of Paradise Theatre. I don't think that I've actually seen any of the work of Bird of Paradise before <laughs> I started working with you. Because I don't live in Scotland. I love coming up to work in Scotland. I love it. And any opportunity, I'm right there. And it's even better if it's with birds of paradise because of how you make sure your productions are creatively accessible to um, all kinds of audiences. The first thing we came up with for Crazy Jane, wasn't it? And that yes, was, I think that's right, yes. Yeah. And that was only about a year after Gary and I did our first production, so quite early on. In the new, the new life of Birds of Paradise. So, with Crazy Jane, what what was your experience of working on that? Like, how did that come about, and how did you find it? I loved working on Crazy Jane because it was based on a real character, so, and um, we worked with a fantastic choreographer, Janice Parker on how to portray the character and the condition that she has. She was abused by her mother 
physically abused, beaten up. So I had to learn not only how to move in a particular way, but how to beat somebody up convincingly <laughs> on stage. And I loved that. I mean, <laughs> I was very careful that I didn't hurt anybody, but it was a new way of telling the story for me. And that's what I love about Birds of Paradise. You're always finding new ways of telling these stories, not just with captions and sign language and audio description, but within the stories as well. And I don't think I'd been so physically abusive like that <laughs> on stage before. I mean, I've done a little bit of uh, um, um, slapping and things like that, yeah. but this was real stunt stuff, kicking and, and being really violent. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> you you got a vicious Greek. <laughs> because I'm usually so mellow and I try to be kind and this was just exploring another side of me as a person mm -hmm. having to be violent for, with someone and in character totally getting into it because she was very abusive. Um, Crazy Jane's mom was, was was violent, violent. So, what what was the kind of the 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 sort of genre, the form of the show? Was it like a a physical sort of movement piece, and and also as well, I was just wondering because you were talking a little bit about your experience as the character of Crazy Jane's mom. If you could just sort of unpackage the kind of relationships within the play, because uh, unfortunately I haven't seen it. I didn't see, but I know it's done like a. It went on tour, didn't it? It went, it went around the houses. It went to like Eden Court and and stuff like that. So I was wondering if you could just unpackage it a little bit. Um, she was a prostitute basically, so I had to find also my sexy side as well as all this is this movement I was doing. And of course, then there was uh, layering up to the performance combined with all the elements of the story. It was quite a new, unique approach how to tell this character's story. Um, and I really loved working with all the other actors because it was a real journey for us all together to learn how to combine our skills and, and tell this story with all the elements, the emotional, the politics, the violence, and the history as well, because it was set, I think, in the late 1800s. So we, it was a period piece as well. And all these different elements really um, gave the play texture, I think. Hmm. Mm. It sounds incredibly anarchic, uh, you know, anarchic and, and completely out there and provocative. What What was the, uh, the kind of response? Oh, I... Everyone I spoke to really enjoyed the play. They enjoyed the fact that it was taken from a real life story and they really enjoyed how the story was told. We had captions on the set. It was on like windows of this big huge set we had. So that was an interesting way for some people to see the access being designed into the production as well. Mm -hmm. And this was quite new 
for a lot of our audience members. They'd never seen anything like this before. All people were avid Birds of Paradise followers and they came to see the show because they knew that the play would be accessible, but in a creative way. where you were all messing around with movement and this weird creative move that was, it wasn't cerebral palsy because it was a little bit like cerebral palsy. And there was that, that fear in the task of, are we doing the right thing here? It's like a little bit on PC. Um, but, but obviously you went ahead and it, and it worked pretty well. How did that, how did that fuel that sense of fear about about doing the right thing? Well, I missed out on the R and Ds. There were some R and Ds before the show started, no. and I wasn't involved in that. So I came into it quite late. But Janice Parker, the choreographer, were, made us feel safe and setting up these kind of rules of the movement and the quality of the movement. And I think, if I'm right, the Laban technique was brought in and we were focusing on some of the elements like the flick and the dab and, um, and creating the movement from how that person felt as well as how that person wanted to move so it came from an emotion a feeling inside rather than us just all moving our bits of bodies and limbs and heads in a particular way so it was always originated from a purpose rather than originated from the aesthetics does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah. Really. and that thing about feeling safe and like yeah. We know Janice very well, and she's great at making the performers feel safe in the room, and that feels very important. Mm. The Laban technique is what I use anyway in my work when I'm signing songs, and it's a good way of expressing emotions and attitudes things, so I just go to add to that. For maybe listeners that are not quite sure um, what that is, if you could just give us like a sort of Wikipedia esque tagline of what what the Laban technique is? Um, Laban um, was a dancer, French, and he set up a series of techniques and movements and the one I use are the contradictive um, movements. So for example, one set of movements will have an opposite. So if there's heavy, then the opposite is light. If Ah, there's stretch, then the opposite is ring. If there's flick, then the opposite is dab. And there's a series of movements. I use six different movements in, in when, when I do the work, but there's a whole variety of different versions of this technique. But I think it's really good for expressing music. So if you're not a dancer, but you want to express music just by moving and not dancing, this is a perfect technique to use maybe i'll start doing that then because i'm not a dancer so maybe i'll start doing some labbing around the kitchen when i'm doing the dishes or something yeah. <laughs> i want i want to record that yeah 
Well, <laughs> maybe we can release it alongside the conversation, the chat, and maybe I can get some tuition from Caroline if she's free. But I imagine you're incredibly busy. <laughs> Just talking about cruising again, the BSL was introducing to the show. How good that was? Well, BSL is great for deaf audiences who doesn't have um, a reading level of English. So their first language is BSL, British Sign Language, just in case anybody's listening in and wondering what that is. So we incorporated some sign language into the show. I don't think we had an interpreter working with us, so we kind of shared the signing between us. I signed some of the scenes as somebody who's not in that scene, and I think I signed while I was in the scene as well. Um, it takes a lot of careful translation because we don't just sign the words, we sign the intent and what needs to be said with that, with that dialogue or whatever, just to ensure. I also had to learn Scottish Sign Language. <laughs> and so um, I, I worked with, uh, there's a deaf person, I think it was E.J. Raymond, yeah. possibly, who yeah. helped me on that. And you know, working with sign language interpreters like Natalie MacDonald, um, it's okay, she's okay. Sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's sticking her tongue out. Me there. I think so, uh, it can get into a lot of people still don't appreciate that sign language is different all over the UK, all over the world, and even within Scotland. I know that it can be different on the, the West Coast to the East Coast to the, the North East and Africa. Yes. A lot of people don't realize how different it can be. Yeah, there is a gestural di um, uh, what is it? dialect. Yeah. Kind of gestural dialect, and the variations within the UK, never mind with the rest of the world. So there are sometimes little um, variations, but they're quite easy to learn because you've got the hand shapes and you've got the, the meaning of the word. So it, it's, it can be quite interesting when I'm working in different areas. I live in London, but I work all over the country and I love learning the regional variations that there are. So um, it's, it's quite interesting for me as a performer, making sure that my work is accessible to the local people of the venue yeah. that I'm in. So it's always a good thing to add more vocab. And also, it's not just about signing. Actors have training in how to speak on stage. There is very little training in how to sign on stage mm. and certainly translate creatively to match the language of the script, particularly if there are songs. And signing songs is my speciality, but there does need to be more creative space out there when translating plays. How can we make the, the sign language unique to this play 
at the writing is. So it would be wonderful if more theatre companies like Bird of Paradise and Grey Eye Theatre and Definitely Theatre really, really are given the space, the opportunity to explore and push the create creativity of translating and signing. At the moment, we're just scratching the surface. Don't worry. Mm. Don't worry. Mm. I was just going to say, it's it's really interesting to see, kind of, kind of track how that uh, level of access has um, kind of changed or improved or in some cases dipped um, over the years. Because a couple of years ago, I was working with um, Toe by an Idiot um, and we, we did a show called All You Need Is LSD. So it was all about like drug trips and it was all completely daft. Um, um, we had a fantastic BSL interpreter called Jill Ross um, and she came into rehearsals and we completely reworked the script so Joe was included, you know, so Joe would be like part of the trips, she would be part of the songs, you know, there was a couple of fight um, sequences in it and she would like hide or even get involved and every time we went to a new venue we would have a um, a specific rehearsal um, with Joe um, to just kind of get used to that venue and that... Uh, that space and it was just so lovely and awesome to have that level of like detail you know and and that um that um level of access so it's not just someone a bsl interpreter like stuck in a wee telly box at the side of the stage you know um so i I don't know i mean maybe that's something we'll get into later on in the conversation in terms of how you feel that that's changed i think over the for us at Welcome Party, something about being very open about trying different things. And sometimes BSL doesn't work. Some of the things we've done just don't work the way we wanted them to. But I think if we can give ourselves permission to try things and mess it up and give it a go again, then it's more interesting and it's more artistic for other people to get involved in? I think the exploration of any creative communication on stage is important. And it's, it's nice if sign language is included in this involvement and development of, of theatre. Um, I don't know if that's in line with what you were saying. So many things were buzzing in my head. But I think, um, as I said earlier, we're just scratching the surface on what the possibilities are. We don't know. And I think it's really important that we expand the possibilities of visual communication. So vocally, there's a whole wide range of vocal communication, poetry, read out loud, singing, music, mm. but with the equivalent of signing is, is quite, it's quite small at this time of moment. But we are expanding this with something called visual vernacular, which is a form of signing that's 
not necessarily using sign language but stealing the gestures from sign language and incorporating a or incorporating it with body language with facial language and it's much more theatrical and it's a little bit more cinematic if you like and we can go from small like a bird flying in the distance and to large you become the bird and then go back to being the bird again so it's almost like that switcheroo thing mm. and also taking a language that's already established like Shakespeare or Robert Burns or anything that's not typically English language today but it, it's kind of um, trying to match the creativity of the language of that period. I'm just wittering at the moment. No, 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 no not at all. We all work together on Morangan Caliban. The show that we did in Hong Kong and Glasgow, and that was again sort of pushing the the envelope and trying different things in a whole new way. And what, what was that like for you? The fascinating thing was this was a modern day telling of a very old story, and what the aftermath was of what happened in the play, The Tempest, and what happens afterwards. Mm. And mm. the politics of recognising rape and recognising abuse and, and how we deal with that situation. So this was very much a story brought up to modern day and in a two different countries as well with two different cultures mm, mm. so i think there was all that going on and it was reaching young people as well who could vote right during right. the production if, if, if it was like a, a, it was like a court trial case almost wasn't it robert yeah in that that um these two daytime shows were judging the characters of the play and the audience could vote if they thought that Caliban did love Miranda or if he raped her kind of thing. So it is a huge issue, yeah. absolutely huge for young people in an audience to assess all the information and then make their decision. Mm. When you say audience, was it live audiences in each of the locations? Or was it something that people watched um, online or something? It, it was live. Um, the, each show was filmed with, in front of a live audience in both Hong Kong and in Glasgow. Wow. So um, they had the phones and they were allowed to vote on the phones at that time and moment. So each show had a different number of votes and who voted for what no. <laughs> yeah we did about four shows didn't we yeah. or more yeah. there was and, so uh, much technology in that show that could go wrong <laughs> it's amazing that we ever got through it yeah no i mean i mean it was just 
I think we got the right people together in those studios, very calm, very laid back, very yeah. up to the yeah. challenge. Yeah. Um, I think um, if you get the right people together, it makes a huge difference, mm. I think. Mm. And there was gravity in that as well for mm. some of the actors. Um, Joe Wong, who played Ariel, your cousin, Robert, um, yeah. he was just brilliant at holding an audience together. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and you had your job in Glasgow holding yeah. an audience together as well. Yeah. So I think you were absolutely the right people to kind of be the helm, hold the helm of these two shows. And yes, it was technical, but I think it was due to yours and Joe's skill of communicating with an audience, improvising, winging it. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, it was script, but it was also, it went off tangents as well sometimes, yeah. didn't it, Robert? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah that's what i was gonna say you've you, you kind of maybe already answered it but um i mean so i assume from what caroline was saying there's that you were you were in the show as well um but what i was gonna ask what what possessed um yourself and and, and gary and bop and general to to do such a complex show i mean it's very very like um you know admirable you know because if somebody said that to me i'd be like you're, you're having a laugh you know and I can imagine that must have been interesting conversations that you had with funders and producers and all that sort of stuff. I remember the funding came from the Breaking Council because it was the anniversary of Shakespeare that year. So this was 2016. And so because of the Shakespeare Festival, we got that extra funding to make this work. And then Gary came up with the idea of Miranda Caliban and, and the idea of making a game show. And then, because I've got a bit of a geeky, kicky side to me, I was going, okay, how do we take it up away from all of these other elements that can make it quite interesting? Because I think that the online voting and the, the different locations and all of that, which it's funny because now in Cranky Cranky, you know, video conferencing become very common. But even four years ago, it was pretty dangerous stuff. You just go, yeah, I think we're just adrenaline junkies to like, <laughs> like, like to, you know, give ourselves heart failure and an aneurysm sometimes. Um, yeah. But you haven't had any like bypasses or anything like that in the last four years, have you? Well, I also think we do that sort of thing again and in a hurry. It was quite <laughs> It was great fun great, great working with all of the actors in Hong Kong, but it was, yeah, it was very stressful. Mm. Yeah, so the, the, la the last show you worked, was that the Tin, tin Soldier? And that was a children's show, so obviously it sounded very, very different. It was, um, it was great because it was a well-known young people story, the Tin Soldier, and um, we came together a few times to R and D research and develop 
the story and how to tell the story um, and using puppets wow. as well. But I mean, I mean, this is Rosa Powder. We had someone from Russia coming over and making the puppets and um, um, showing us how to manipulate the puppets in the show. So again, it was a very layered show. And because it was aimed at young people, the, the um, captioning was done beautifully. It was done on the set and the language of the captioning and the images created with the creative captioning. It was, it was beautiful in that aspect as well. And also I keep forgetting to mention, all the signing is inclusive to the show. That means we're incorporated on stage amongst the actors and not someone stood at the side of the stage where um, as an audience member, you'd feel like someone sitting in the doorway when there's art in one room and the access and the other. And yeah. it's like watching tennis going from yeah. one to the other. But if you do inclusive interpreting, which is what we did in this show as well, again, we shared the, the signing between us or I ended up learning local signs and translating songs. It was a lovely show because it had songs in it it had puppets in it. I, I really enjoyed working on that. However, one of the actors, oh, Robert, he was terrible to work <laughs> with. I'll probably never work with him again. No, I, 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 I hear he's got a very big ego. Yes, yeah, yeah, sometimes. You couldn't get on stage because his head was in the way. <laughs> well, the problem with that ego was that I... Before that, I hadn't done acting for a number of years, and I'd forgotten how to memorize lines. <laughs> we got to the week before we opened, and I can't remember anything anymore. I'm getting too old to remember anything. Then I was a great fun show to work on. And I love doing Christmas shows because you know, so much of what we do and about getting out to young people and letting them know about disability and that equality is a thing and all of these sort of basic things and that we're one Christmas show we can reach hundreds or thousands of young people and get that message out there which Seems like a really important job for mm. us to be doing. And the young audiences loved that show, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, there were so many visuals, and the music was incredible as well. And the songs music that show what it was. So, yeah, it's a fun show. One time I learned my rings, it was great fun. Before that, <laughs> before that, it was hell. <laughs> Particularly working with yeah. children, though, you know, we're we're doing a children's show. Children will tell you exactly what they think. So I guess in terms of the access, um, you can't ha let have it be this sort of game of tennis. You've got to grab the uh, children's attention. And I was wondering because it was uh, geared towards families and and a younger audience, did that change how you kind of um, curtailed the the access? You know, is is it slightly different, um, or do the same principles apply regardless of the the demographic of who your the show's geared towards? 
I think um, always when you're performing to an audience, you have to be aware of how that audience functions. So yes, you're right with the young audiences. We have to make sure that they learn to know where to focus. And we as actors guide their focus. And that was done with us, how we performed and how lighting was used. So it's not that much different to an adult audience. It's just that we're training a young audience how to watch a show. So we may have to take our time. We may have to be more obvious in who's talking and where we mm. put our focus. Mm. Um, I don't think it was I don't think it was that different to an adult audience. It was just being more careful with it, maybe. What do you think, Robert? Yeah, I mean, every show we do is about communicating to the whole audience and making everything understood by the whole audience. Well, if that's a younger audience, then you want to make it accessible to them. But that, that same rule applies, you know, the same... I remember when we spoke about the captions, we, we made them a little bit simpler for the younger audience because they might not be as literate in reading. But it's not, it's not massive things, it's small things that make a difference. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all yeah. in the detail, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And um, I'm just making sure that we are interesting enough for the young audience to That's keep watching. That's the challenge. Yeah, yeah. we love that challenge. <laughs> One thing, like in terms of, uh, Caroline, look, looking at your work and you as an artist, you're incredibly versatile. You know, you um, you act, you interpret, you do stand-up comedy. So I, I, I would re I'm really keen to know what motivates you as like an artist, what, you know, yeah, what get what gets you going? Oh, I, I just love showing off. I mean, <laughs> I open the fridge door and I start performing. <laughs> I I'm opening my chances of having an audience by doing all these different jobs. Mm. I just love what I do. I live to work. I love it. I love engaging with an audience, making them laugh. But also, over the last few years, I didn't start out intentionally as a political performer, as in, I am showing the world how deaf people relate, think, perform, communicate. That wasn't how I started out at all. But over the last few years, that's been the focus of my work as well and i just love doing it so if there's any more i can more opportunities more opportunities i can create to perform then I, I, i'm there I'll, I'll be finding out what are the ways i can perform mm. a, a lot of people will know you carol from your your king songs and from your cabaret work how did that all start and, and, yeah. Oh, well, growing up, I'd always 
loved listening to music with my hearing aids on. I can pick up the rhythm. I can't really pick up the words. I have to have the words written down. And um, I could only get the words back in the days of yore, that's how old I am, to get the words from magazines like Oh Boy and music magazines. So um, I was always looking for words and lip syncing because I didn't sign there. I'd get the hairbrush and I'd lip sync and pretend to be a singer. I loved performing. It was only later when I started learning sign language and I saw a wonderful deaf performer, Colin Thompson, who signed songs back in the days of um, the 1970s and what have you. <coughs> um, <laughs> And I was motivated by his performance. And so all the songs that I knew, I started translating into sign language, more SSE then, because I was following the English of the words. But as time went by, I kind of got to thinking, oh, I, I don't actually have to sign the English. I could mime. I could dance, I could show the songs in different ways. And I was suddenly chatting with a friend of mine, a Scotsman, Hamish MacDonald. I don't know if you if you uh, know him. Well, um, well, well, he was a bit before well, your time. Well, yes. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, well <laughs> yeah. He, he, he's an actor, he's disabled, an actor. Mm -hmm. and a Scotsman, yes, yeah. and um, we got into conversation about me having access, well not access to songs, but me knowing what songs are out there and the words and things, and Hamish told me of a song that was sung by Peter Gabriel called Big Time. Big Time, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, it? House, is, yeah. house is getting well, bigger. He was saying he liked this song. And I thought, oh, okay then. So um, in secret, um, I went and got the song, the cassette, <gasps> that had words in them. But you had to have a magnifying glass to read the words because they're so tiny. And I was working and I translated the song. Um, but before I could show Hamish the song, the bastard died. Oh. So he never got to see it, but he was a very popular man. Mm. And he had a memorial, basically, which ended up being an evening cabaret. And everyone got up and did their pieces. Wow. And I wow. was one of the hosts for this cabaret tribute to Hamish. And I signed that song. Really? And I got a booking. I got two bookings for cabaret from that. Wow. And that was at, the beginning the, of my sang song career. At the memorial, you got two bookings? Yeah. Yeah. Right. We have no shame. We have no shame. <laughs> got to take what you can get. <laughs> so I'm always on the lookout for opportunities to um, sign song. I have kind of a repertoire now. My most requested song at the moment is Kate Bush's um, Wuthering Heights. It's phenomenal. It's a classic and a favourite man. I love you Wuthering Heights and I love you in the huge 
And these shoes. And these shoes. Yeah. Oh, Kirsty McCall. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I. In fact, someone saw me in a cabaret, not doing that song, saw me in a cabaret and came up to me afterwards and told me you should sign this song. And bless her, she emailed me the lyrics of the song <laughs> and everything. So I had to do it. And a few years later, um, I saw her again. She wasn't a friend of mine or anything. And she came up to me afterwards and said, thank you for signing the song. <laughs> and I didn't know she was there, but I'd chosen that song to sign anyway. Mm. Anyway, that's, mm. you know, it's just lovely when people tell me what songs, because I, I can't hear them on the radio. And if they're on television, they have to have captions. <gasps> Went up with the pops, got captions. <gasps> that was fantastic. <laughs> brilliant and I was able to choose a few songs from Top of the Pops um, one of them was um, George Michael, Jesus to a Child yeah. which a friend of mine actually commissioned me to do so yeah, yeah it was great that was great yeah. I mean I'm also keen to do Wuthering Heights about five times and every time I almost wet myself the funniest <laughs> you've ever seen. Is it on YouTube? Can people watch it? Or? I think there might be recordings on YouTube, but there are live performances, and yeah. it's just somebody with a camera capturing it. Yeah. So it's quite tricky signing for camera. Yeah. Because of the angle and, and the speed of the yeah. signing of things. But there are different versions out there yeah. of me doing Wuthering Heights or Bohemian Rhapsody. It's uh, another yeah. song, Queen. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I saw uh, there is, because you did the TED Talk, isn't that right? And you did uh, Wuthering Heights at the, the TED Talk. So that's on YouTube. I watched that a couple of days ago. And yeah, as Robert says, it's fantastic. Like trying to open the window. That was like, I was... I was giggling away, um, and the Bohemian Rhapsody is fantastic. Where where did you perform that? Because it, it was a proper gig setting, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I've done that. I've been doing that since forever. So uh, yeah, Wuthering Heights has taken over. But I, I don't get much chance to sign songs now. I think um, there's less cabaret. Well, there is at the moment, yeah. but the you know mm -hmm. pre that um, there was one summer I can't I was going to a festival every weekend signing songs and I think it was the year leading up to the disability discrimination act or something so there was a lot of little festivals to prep people for the blast of disabled artists deaf disabled artists in the business so deaf and disability awareness training and it was a very busy summer but it's been very quiet since then so come on set up those festivals more get us all performing our whatevers and it's, yeah it's, yeah it's so hard because these things come and go in waves and then what i think that like i rang about cranky crowds and i'm gonna take there was a lot of stuff and they all went quiet and they all come back and yeah, it's hard to keep being part of that wave after wave of of 
Oh, it's like flavor oh. of the month kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So we've got to what? get flavoursome again, Robert. Yeah. We've got to get flavoursome again. <laughs> I think I'm getting too old to get flavoursome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 57. You no. Get out with it. No. <laughs> I'm always going to be flavoursome. <laughs> I have a question you mentioned earlier. When you started out, you didn't feel that you were your work was like political, like head on, and now you feel like you're, um, you're kind of go really at that point, and I I think that's it's a really interesting uh question because you could say that just um for a deaf or, dis or disabled actor or performer to be on stage, it, you could say that that's political, but then maybe maybe that's just it's it's a bit of a sort of cop out we're beyond the point now where we where we can be on the stage and we can kick ass and we can impress people i i'm just really fascinated to um hear what you have to say on that like what what does it mean to be political you know today um it, 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 it's an interesting question because like i said before i didn't set out to be i just set out to be an entertainer but because of the language I use and how I use it, I think it's it's a statement. As someone said to me, a deaf woman performing with music on stage, you don't get to see that every day, and that's a political statement. It's saying, yes, I'm deaf, but also I enjoy music. And mm. I think what we are trying to do is get the message out there. We are more than our deaf and disabilities. I've always said my deafness has never held me back, but people's attitude towards my deafness may have done so. And what we mm. are doing is we're breaking down those barriers, those attitudes. And one of the ways to do that is just being out, going out there and doing what we do. And apparently that is a political statement. So we're not sitting at home waiting for things to happen. We're going out there and we're making people look at us because we're deaf, because we're disabled. But having said that, we would also like to perform roles that have nothing to do with our deafness and disability. A lot of the time, parts that are written that are deaf or disabled aren't necessarily from the perspective of the person having that disability. So mm. at the moment, we are pushing for more deaf and disabled writers to write those roles for us. And this is where Robert comes in. He's written a, a musical. So I think it's up to us to go out there don't be political as in we have rights be political as in we are part of your society and we want to be part of your society we want to contribute we want to tell stories we want to create songs and music and and entertain you and we want you to see us as entertainers, as actors, as writers, and not just somebody with a big label, deaf, disabled. Sometimes those labels are useless, are useful. 
like when you want to get shopping delivered to your door. But <laughs> at the same time, hopefully in the future, this wouldn't be extraordinary. This would be mainstream. This would be equal to other entertainers, other people who have their stories to tell. But the stories needs to come from us and not from someone's imagination. Oh, what would happen if this mm. character was deaf or disabled and making that story the issue of the disability? No, we can be lovers, we can be teachers, we can be angry, we can be sad, we can be parents, you know? We have other stories outside our disability and deafness. And we need the society to see we have more to offer than society's restraints. Sorry, that was quite political, wasn't it? I'll stop. No, no, I, th I thought that was fantastic. And I, I, I agree with everything that you said. So no, don't apologise at all. That was brilliant. Perfect. Powerful. And that was our conversation with Caroline Parker. Hope you enjoyed it. Lots of stuff to think about there. Um, I think you'll agree that she's absolutely fantastic. And we hope to see um, what she'll be up to hopefully soon. Uh, once all this nonsense is over and done with. It'd be great to hear from you what you think about the podcast. So feel free to get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of the usual guff. We're Bunsen Pagging Seeker, Bop Seeker, and Bop Seeker, respectively. And yeah, get in touch, let us know what you think. There's also a webpage where all of the podcast episodes are all held. Like Bop Seeker got cooked at UK. Spot on the wire. Have a look at that. And then next week it's the final in our first season of four podcast. Oh no! I know. And, and next week we've got Amy Curtin who was in our earlier, earlier production of Wendy So look forward to that. Mm, that's a, a, a conversation really not to be missed. Uh, it's, it's quite a riot and uh, quite steamy in places, only because of the subject matter of the show, of course. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned there's no podcast, but I couldn't think of Frozen Light. You want to check out Frozen Light, make seeker for people with profound disabilities, and they started doing a podcast about their work, so I would definitely check that out um, on whatever system you get your podcast on. Mm. And also tell people about this podcast. We've got to keep it going. And we've got to keep up, get other people about our work. Um, but the more we get out there, the more we can we can make this happen. So tell your family, tell your family, tell them all about us. <laughs> tell everybody. Tell your dog. <clears throat> so, until next week, see you later. Bye. See you later.